But please let yourself sit comfortably or at ease for this time. Last week, for those who came, talked some about the wedding of body and spirit. So this evening I'd like to speak in a very simple and practical way about the use of meditation and the possibility of awareness of our own life and breath as a way to wed body and spirit or to work with the range of experiences that constantly change within us and around us, through us. The idea in spiritual life, most fundamentally, is not to put an end to pain and difficulty. I don't know if anyone here has done that. Please let me know. I'd like to meet you. But somehow to see in the midst of this human life of its 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows of the inevitable sufferings and conflict and pleasure and beauty, that there's a possibility in the midst of all of that to find a centeredness, an awakening, a freedom. Begin by reading from the Tao Te Ching. Do you want to improve the world? I don't think it can be done. The world is sacred. It can't be improved. If you tamper with it, you'll ruin it. If you treat it like an object, you'll lose it. There's a time for being ahead, a time for being behind, a time for being in motion, and a time for being at rest, a time for being vigorous, and a time for being exhausted, a time for being in danger, and a time for being safe. The master sees things as they are without trying to control them. She lets them go their own way and resides at the center of the circle. Residing at the center of the circle, being in oneself an island of calm, I remember so clearly the monastery of my teacher, Ajahn Chah, near the border of Laos and Cambodia in Southeast Asia, this forest temple. And even during the war period, or especially then, when things were so difficult and so much struggle and agony, conflict, that it was an island of calm in the midst of all of that. A question for us then is, how do we actually embody that? How do we live that? And not a calm that flattens us out or deadens us or loses our emotions or our uh, physical vitality or the beauty of life, but that residing in the center, presence with life. One of the most simple and practical instructions repeated for thousands of years now has been to use the breathing, this life breath, 
It's always moving within us as the way to come to that center and that freedom. A story for you from India. An ancient teaching from India points to this truth of the breath. For to feel the breath is to feel life itself. Life begins with the first breath, ends with the last breath. There was a conference of all the human faculties, all the senses, which in the Indian tradition are six. The five senses, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, and then the mind as a sixth sense. As at many meetings, they first had to describe or decide who would be in charge. You know how that goes in meetings. Same in India. Sight popped up and put in its bid, creating beautiful images that had everyone enraptured. Smell arose and created powerful and haunting aromas that left everyone tingling with anticipation. But taste could top could top that with astounding and delectable flavors from all the world's cuisines. Ah, the tongue. Hearing created exquisite harmonies that brought everyone to tears. And the body brought on physical sensations that had everyone in ecstasy. And the mind spun out intellectual theories and stories and tales that took on beauty by the depths of the truths they expressed. So they were all in conflict. Who's in charge here? Along came the breath, not even one of the senses, and said it wanted to be in charge. All it could present was the simple in and out breath, not terribly impressive in the face of everything else. No one even noticed it. The other senses got into a tremendous argument about which one of them would be chosen. The breath, in its disappointment, began walking away. (laughs) And the images began to fade. The tastes lost their savor. The sounds diminished. Wait, wait, the senses called out. Come back. You can lead. We need you. And the breath came back and took its proper place. So how can we live wisely in this complex human existence? One of the most fundamental offerings in the teachings of the Buddha is the awareness or the mindfulness of this life breath itself. My friend, said the Buddha, in the very beginning teachings, take the time to sit quietly, to reconnect with the breathing, Find a quiet place and allow yourself to establish a sense of settledness. And sitting stably, become aware, breathing in, knowing this is an in-breath. Breathing out, this is an out-breath. A long breath or a short breath. Breathing in and out, become aware of the whole body. And breathing in and out, allow the body and mind to come to peace. Breathing in and out, in the midst of all things, feel joy and happiness. Breathing in and out, allow the activities of body, heart, and mind to calm themselves. Breathing in and out, discover freedom or liberation. 
So those are some of the key lines of this instruction of the practice of working with the breath. And with the breath, one then discovers a spaciousness or emptiness that is the true nature of the mind and the heart through which all experience rises and falls. There's this awareness, the awareness of breathing, the awareness of this moment of the space that holds all things. And sounds come and go, and sights and smells, and emotions and feelings and thoughts, rising and falling. And in and around containing the source of them is this spacious and open awareness. And the breath shows us this space, it moves in this space. Now how to do this quite practically? For those of you who've practiced for some time, this may be a bit of a review, but it never hurts. Beginner's mind has its value, as we know. And for those of you who are new, all the better. It's pretty simple. You know when somebody dies, how you can tell generally, their breath stops. That's it. It's the end of this particular human life or incarnation. So to begin to be aware of our life is to feel this life breath. And we can start as we did in the sitting that just passed, being aware of the inspiration and expirations. Inspire inspiration. Tingling, swirling, coolness at the nose, whispers, subtle sensations, coolness in the back of the throat, pulsing of the chest, pulling, moving, expanding, contracting, throbbing, warm and soft. Is your breath warm or cool as it comes in and goes out? Does the belly expand longer and then make a short contraction, or is it quick to fill and slow to release the air. Can you actually feel the rhythm of breath with that much care that you know the cycles? It's like a swinging door. It opens, closes. Now sometimes it's hard to feel the breath. So a good and simple practice is just to put your hand on your belly. Take your hand and place your palm on your belly and hold it there. And feel the breath in the palm of your hand. If you wait, it will show itself. You can rest your hand. Feel that for a long time. I know a friend who's a nurse that works in the emergency room. All these kind of incredible excitement and, you know, You know how it is, you watch it on TV, right? All those emergency room shows and stuff. But she said her most important duty beside, you know, the IVs and the monitors and all the other things she sees for herself is somehow to connect with the spirit of that person who came in, with that life spirit. She says, and often she'll just put a hand on their chest, her hand on their belly and feel their breath, if they still have a breath, you know and connect through the breathing. It's that basic and simple. Now, of course, as one begins to work with the breath, as that story said, the breath in a certain way is rather colorless immediately. 
and simple, even boring. You know, why should I be aware of the breath? There's these fantastic stories the mind tells. And the emotions of today, let me tell you what happened, how I felt about it, and the sounds and sights and tastes. That's when the Zen master grabs the student and says, you think the breath is boring, and pushes their head underwater in the stream that flows through the monastery and holds them down there for a while. And after a minute, they come up. And he said, how was your breath under there? Was it still boring? gets pretty interesting. It's like this friend whose story I've told many times, um, who had a baby out in the country without a midwife in the old days, in the 60s, thinking you could do anything you wanted naturally, you know. And the baby was born breech, very blue, cord-wrapped, not breathing, like a stillbirth. And they were terrified what to do, and they held it and didn't start to breathe, and they began to give it little infant artificial respiration and hold it again to see if it would start to breathe on its own. They didn't have oxygen or anything. And she said, there I held this child, and I would tried to meditate on my own breath at times, more or less successfully. But here, I watched and waited for the tiniest little movement of breath, that little infant breath, to see if this boy would join us, would be alive. She said, there's where I learned what it meant to be aware of the breath, and it wasn't even my own. That kind of sensitivity to life itself. Fortunately, he started to breathe, and he actually graduated college a couple years ago, so he's doing fine. Now, it's not so easy to come back to our breathing or stay with it for very long, one breath or two and we're gone. We've been called a culture of uh, the 15-second attention span. It's one commercial length, right? Get a couple breaths and then we're gone. So the image one uses is of training the puppy, coming back, bringing the breath over and over back here to sense where we are. A simple way to begin, kind of the training wheels of breath meditation, is to count the breath just to use the number, field of in-breath and out-breath, and then toward the end of it, say one. And let the numbers be in the background, 5%. 95% is just to feel the breath itself. And it's a way to kind of help keep track and return. So without doing anything special, you don't even have to change your posture. Just close your eyes right where you are and feel the breath as it is right now. And for just two or three minutes, let's count the breath. In and out, feel it somewhere, and one. In and out, a rising, falling, two. One Zen master said, since you don't meditate very well, maybe three minutes is enough. You won't make too many mistakes.
relax into each breath. Soften, feel it breathe itself. There are a lot of ways you can count, several. You can count one to 10 and start again. Or you can count one to 30 or 50 or 100 as you probably just did. You counted your breath, maybe you got to 25 or 30. Or you can count until you lose count and then start at one again. Or you can continue to count. Um, the point is not the counting, but the counting points to the experience of resting in the breath. Kabir says, open the window and disappear into the air inside of you. So it's really the breath is the window to the heart and the spirit. And you come back over and over, you open the window again and feel a few breaths and disappear, or then lose the sense of breath and wake up and come back another time, a hundred times in a sitting maybe, returning back, and gradually there comes this ability to rest in the breathing, to be present with this life force. Now as this capacity to be aware of breathing develops, and a certain aliveness comes from it, my, one might begin by counting, and then sensing the breath in the body, and using it to feel the feelings that arise of joy, spaciousness, really learning them, using the breath as a mirror for the mind and body, letting go into it, finding a freedom. So the first step is just connecting with the breath, finding a place, the nose, the throat, the chest, the belly, where we actually can rest with the breathing, and sense it some, even if it's soft, to let the attention get soft and subtle. Then the next instruction, when we've established some connection with breathing, 
is to feel the breath in the whole body. To let oneself feel the breath as it's reflected in this whole body. Now the troubles of the world that we're all too conscious of, whether they're ecological or warfare or poverty and injustice, many, many kinds, much of the destruction of the world comes when the mind is cut off from the body, cut off from the heart, cut off from its connection with the earth and the senses. And when we're not so aware, then we can, whether it's build factories or cut down old growth rainforests or plan wars on a computer, all of it at kind of a distance because we don't feel it, we don't experience it, it becomes distant and abstract. I remember reading about a Central American tribe whose sacred symbol was a cross in the middle of a circle. And the cross represented humanity and this capacity that we have to see right and wrong and good and bad that's divided and also creative. And the circle around it was that that humanity was held in some greater circle, a wholeness of the spirit. So that was the symbol of this old, ancient Central American tribe. And then one day they saw some people coming from the ships far away in Europe, the conquistadors, and they looked on the tunics and things that they wore and carried, and they saw only the cross without the circle. And their elders said, you know, I think we're in trouble. (laughs) We're in trouble when there isn't that sense of connection And it's just I and me and mine. So the next instruction after touching the breath, finding a place to feel the breath, is to feel the breath in the whole of the body. And by doing so, there's a calming of the body. The breath, as we feel it and rest in it, allows the thinking to calm by itself. It's a way of letting go of things and letting the breath be our resting place. And we all know the kind of difficulties that come as you sit and meditate, how far the mind goes, or as you try to pay attention anyway during the day. Even Thoreau, you know, that great kind of contemplative figure had trouble. He said, of course, it's no use to direct our steps to walking in the woods if they do not actually carry us there. I am alarmed when it happens that I've walked a mile into the woods bodily without getting there in spirit. You know what he's talking about, yes? In my afternoon walk, I would fain forget all my morning occupations and obligations to society, but still it happens that I cannot easily shake the village. The thought of work will run through my head, and I am not where my body is. I am out of my senses and out of my breath. What business have I in these woods? if I'm thinking of something out of the woods. So it's not just you. It's Thoreau as well. And that's why this is a practice, a training. And there's something very beautiful in it. It's not far away. You can do it in all kinds of circumstances. Just feel the breath again. The pressure, the tingling, the movement. Again, let's meditate with the breath for a few minutes. Sit in a way that's comfortable. 
Allow your eyes to close gently. And again, sense the natural movement of breath. And this time with each breath, as you feel it, allow the spirit of calming to come with the breath. Breathing in and out, I calm the body. Breathing in and out, I rest peaceful in this moment. See if the breath can help that calming and quieting this moment. With each breath in and out, I calm the body. Find a place of peace with the breath. Can you feel that, the possibility of 
breathing and calming, breathing and settling. Very simple and immediate. Breathing in and out, calming the body, feeling the breath in the whole body, allowing the body to become peaceful. So there's connecting with the breathing, counting the breath as some way to stabilize that connection somehow, returning over and over to the breath, and then using the breath to calm or center. And then as we do, as we connect with the breath, we can begin to sense or understand how the breath is healing. The awareness of this breath and body. To breathe into the body is to allow an openness instead of contraction, to allow movement, to touch even that which is painful or wounded or difficult with an awareness that gives it space to breathe, to, to be felt, to heal itself. Let's work with that for a moment. So again, close your eyes. You know the instruction, it's like people see it on t-shirts and things. It says breathe, especially when things get difficult. Just breathe instead of holding the breath. Well, close your eyes for a moment again. And first in the stillness, allow yourself to sense any part of your body that is neglected or painful or wounded in some way that might ask for healing. And feeling that area Now let us chant together this simple chant of breathing, of opening or letting go, the syllable ah. And after the ah, we'll come back in that space that follows to breathe into and around that place that feels hurt or wounded or neglected. But first, the ah. Ah. More fully. Ah, 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 that sense of ah and breathing open into and breathe around and make space to hold and breathe right in the center of that place of pain or wound or neglected in the body. Feel the breath as it opens and allows that to make space, release there.
When things are difficult, we tend to contract and tense. And to breathe is to let go and let things move within our body, in our heart, our spirit. I remember in the monastery where I trained for quite a long time, a Burmese monastery, um, the mother of the, the queen mother, the mother of the king of Thailand came to practice with this famous teacher. And she carried a great deal of grief and suffering because the brother of the king, who had been the king before him, was murdered in his bed in the palace earlier, some decades ago. And a lot of infighting in the royal history, as you can read in any Shakespearean play. Um, But when you're in the middle of it, and it's your own children, it's terrible. And she came to find some peace, and the teacher tried to teach her about being aware of her thoughts and mind and all the different aspects of insight meditation. She said she wasn't even able to find her breath very easily. But somehow, as she stayed over the days, she breathed a little more easily. And then she said, as she left, she went to see the Master. And she said, you know, I don't know what good this meditation did me. While I was sitting there, not much happened. But I was able to fall asleep afterward and sleep well for the first time in 20 or 30 years. She left him a big gift. Thank you. To breathe is to allow a kind of healing to take place in the body, from the soles of the feet and the windows of the eyes and the throat and the heart. All of that as we breathe in awaken. It connects us with the world. I read this biological fact. The question was, um, in one in-breath, how likely is it that you will have at least one molecule of Julius Caesar's dying breath? 99 times out of 100, you will. It's almost every breath you and Julius Caesar are together. This is a poem from Terry Adams, who has spent his life in an iron lung after polio as a child. It's called Breath. They told me when I woke that each breath will taste my blood with the tongue of every creature who has lived. And I said, yes. And the air I breathe will be torn by rocks and bruised in the factories of steel. And I said, yes. They said the ants have a right to this breath as much as I. And it erases their paths as they walk and as easily it erases mine. They said, my breath will read me from inside with its licking torch as if I were a cave, a mechanical breath. And I said, yes. I will breathe the air that has passed through the nail holes punched by children into jar lids to save the lives of fireflies. And I say, yes. And I will breathe the force which blows windrows in snow and rubs waves in the sand and strips topsoil from farmlands and makes the cypress cringe from the sea, yes. And I will breathe through the perforated coinage of sewer lids. And I will breathe down hot valleys with the breath of vegetables. And I say, yes. And I will breathe what determines the path of falling feathers and boils the snow from the seared summits of mountains. And I will stay trapped a thousand years in a tomb until a mouse will set me free with its breath. 
and I will blow a cloud on the final mirror of the dying, and I will make a quick slate for fingers shouting behind cold glass, saying, yes, I will breathe, I will breathe. The breath connects us with life to breathe. It's that simple coming back over and over. And if you're someone who has the privilege of working with those who are dying, one of the most powerful connections is to breathe with them. I've had friends that I've worked with who are dying in the ep epidemic of AIDS, HIV. Sometimes I could be with them. Sometimes they would call me and I would chant to them on the phone and we would just breathe together for a while. Or the mother of a dear friend of mine, she came to one of the first parents' retreats we had in Massachusetts for our parents in the 1970s who were wondering what we were doing. All these old women came to check out what their kids had gotten involved in, and a few old men, and we, they sat in chairs in the front row in the meditation hall with their pocketbooks in their laps like they were riding the subway in New York, you know, and said, okay, show me, right? And so we taught them meditation, and then the mother of this dear friend was dying of emphysema and couldn't breathe, and she said, you know, it had been years since I went to that retreat, and it's all that mattered to me was learning to feel the breath and breathe because that's all my life was. Will I have another breath? This one and then this one. And the same in childbirth. It's fantastic. I mean, dying and being born are pretty close together if you have the chance to be around them. They're similar processes. One is giving birth to this new life and another somehow is giving birth to the spirit that leaves this body. Also, breathing with the mother as she goes through labor and contractions. Breathe. It's what opens us to something new. Try it, breathing with another person. It's a wonderful practice to breathe and connect. And with it, if you follow another person's breath, even for a little while, there's this amazing kind of intimacy. Without words, without knowing their name or their story, you breathe with another person for a little bit, and all of a sudden, your lives touch. When the breath opens, there comes a kind of innocence or joy, leaving the complexity of our minds in our life. We can just breathe and let go of so much. Let's do it, because that's the next step in this breathing. It's not just calming the body, but actually letting yourself, no matter what's happening, feel some joy. So sit up, if you would, working with the breath. And first we'll do three deeper breaths, just to kind of cleanse and open the body. There are three-part breath that goes like this. You fill your belly with air. Then you fill your chest. And then you feel all the way up through your shoulders and your head and everything. And then you let it out. Let's do that a couple more times. Belly chest, shoulders, the rest of you, ah, just let it out, again, belly, chest, shoulders, the whole being, and then ah, let your eyes close, 
Let the breath come, maybe a little more deeply for a few breaths. And with the breath, sense the quality of happiness or joy that can come just in being alive and breathing. Maybe a half smile on the face, as Thich Nhat Hanh would say. Breathe. You can let happiness come, it's all right. It's a part of you, even in difficulty. You can let joy arise. Breathing in the midst of all things. Let the happiness stay if there is any or joy, even as you listen. All I was doing was breathing, says the Indian saint Mira. Something reached out and taken in the beams of my eyes. All I was doing was breathing, and the dancing energy came by my house. Her face looks curiously like the moon. I saw it from the side, smiling. My family says, don't ever do that again, and implies things in a low voice. But my eyes and breath have their own life. They laugh at the rules. Mira says, without the breath that lifts mountains, how am I to live? Let yourself breathe like that. And that joy isn't the joy that, that ignores the sorrows of the world, but breathes in the middle of it. It's like Thich Nhat Hanh, who teaches breathing and smiling. And I asked him one day, as I've told this story here, he was giving these teachings of smiling and joy. And I said, sometimes I feel when you teach so much sadness. You know, is that me or is that you? Who is that? Sometimes you pick it up from others. And he said, oh, it's me. He said, I've seen so much suffering in this world. So many people I loved were killed around me for all those years. And that's why I teach joy, because I so much need to find it as well. So it doesn't mean a denial of the life, but a breathing in the midst of it. The purpose is not just to calm or to quiet but through the breath to come to that liberation of heart, that openness and awareness that takes the one seat, the center of life, and can bow to whatever arises with a presence and a mindfulness, to the fears and the pain and the love and the joy and the loss, to all of it, without creating more suffering, resting in our true nature. Now, if you read the Buddhist instructions in working with the breath, it says the breath leads to full mindfulness, to an openness, a release of the body of fear, to a liberation, to an understanding. The traditional image is that we live in a kind of illusion, and our stories catch us up, and we believe our stories. Have you noticed? You know, instead of the reality of the present. 
And so this rope that's coiled in the dusk looks like a snake and we jump back and think that it's going to bite us. And if the light is turned on, we see only it's only a rope. We're looking in the wrong place for happiness. Happiness is not in the circumstances that change, but in the freedom of the heart. It's like we're looking for the water of love and freedom in the desert, and all we get are mirage. Do you know the story of the little boy who was called on the telephone? Hello, Johnny? Yes, that's me. Could I speak to your mother? No. Is she there? Yes. Well, uh, can I talk to her? No. Why not? She's talking to two policemen. Well, can I talk to your dad? No. Can't? Is he there? Yes, he is. Why can't I talk to him? Well, he's talking to three firemen. Well, could I talk to the policeman or the fireman? No. What are they doing? Oh, they're looking for me. Mm, I think we look for something all the time, over and over, to make us happy, to complete us, to connect in some deep way. And that connection or nourishment or happiness is as close as our breath. Eternity is not something that begins after you are dead. It's going on all the time. (laughs) We're in it right now. You know that moment you're sitting here in meditation, There you are sitting the first meditation, 40 minutes, you know, and sometimes you get bored or frustrated or restless or antsy or there's pain, and then all of a sudden that sweet sound comes. Ah, the end of meditation, right? There's that moment. And you smile and you feel this tremendous delight. The bell has rung. And nothing has changed, has it? You're still sitting there exactly as you were. The only difference is... Now, what makes you so happy in that moment? (laughs) What's the truth of that? What happens is in that moment, finally you let go. You're not trying to fix it or get it or be somewhere or make or do anything. It's just that simple of letting go. And to breathe and be aware of breathing is the same letting go, whether it's driving or working or doing the dishes or cleaning or being with one's children or being in meetings with your lawyer or being the lawyer in someone else's meetings, you know. It's just a way of breathing and opening and finding that space that is who we really are. Remembering that. Because everything is always changing and that's not the place of happiness. Sun Buddha, Moon Buddha, Happy Buddha, sad Buddha. It all breathes and the liberation of the heart comes, that peace comes when we can let go into it. As Suzuki Roshi Zen Master said, when we understand the everlasting truth that everything changes and find our composure in it, there we find ourselves in nirvana. It's that simple. Well, kind of that simple. (laughs) I remember going on a 
Zen retreat with a famous old Roshi, Sasaki Roshi. And we would be sitting, he's a Rinzai Zen master who worked with koans, and now he's 90-something, he's still doing it. This was some years ago, he was already pretty old then. He'd say, all right, you sit, and you breathe, and you work with your koan, and then four times a day you come in and have interview and try to answer your koan. So I was breathing and feeling my koan and letting go and trying to answer it. It was a koan, I won't tell you exactly what it was, but it was something like, show me... Um, um, show me how you understand the short life of a butterfly. Okay, that's the kind of koan it was, something, a natural koan like that. So I'm breathing and letting go each breath and thinking, well, the butterfly flies for a little while, but its life is short and then it dies. So I go in and I think, well, he wants this koan about being a butterfly and dying in some way. So first I go in and I smile and I give him some verbal answer. Well, the butterfly has a short life and then it's over, like that. And he rings his bell and he says, not very good. And it sends me back. So I go in and the next time I flap my wings like a butterfly. I really do it. And after I'm done, he rings the bell. He says, too much ego. It sends me back. Right? So I think, all right, I've got to get more into this butterfly thing. Huh? And I go in and I come out of the chrysalis and I flap my wings and do things. And he looks at me, 2%. <laughs> Rings the bell again. So I think, all right, maybe the death is the big part of the answer to this. <laughs> I go in and I flop around a little bit and then I just lay there and I die. And then I look at him and he says, no. <laughs> no good. So I've tried every answer I can think of, and I'm sitting and breathing and letting go and thinking of the butterfly, and I go in to see him, and he says, you know, tell me the answer to the koan, and I can't, and I try again, and he's just saying, 2%, no good. And finally, I get really angry at him. You know, one of these answers must have been right. And I think, well, he's a Zen master, he can handle my anger. So I go in, (laughs) and he says, what's your koan? And I say, how do I understand the short life of a butterfly? So he looks and says, how do you understand short life of a butterfly? And I look at him, I say, fuck you, Roshi. (laughs) And then I put out his candle, and I ring ring his bell myself, and I stomp out of there. And as I'm walking out the door, I hear the bell ringing, and he says, oh, not the answer. So it's easy to talk about letting go, right? That talk is cheap. But it's really why we practice. Because in a moment, all of a sudden, you realize, oh, I can let go, or I can feel that place that needs healing, having the space and attention it needs, or the emotional entanglement release or the sense of all the stories of who I am and the small sense of self and the complexity and the body of fear, in a breath it drops away. And then we remember, oh, it's all right. We're just here. We can be free. And then it comes back again, but because we practice it, even in difficult circumstances, it will come again. And you're there with someone who's dying or someone who's being born, or someone who's in the middle of dying and being born between those things, you know, in those middle years. Like my child who falls and she's crying and stuff, and I can just hold her and feel her breath and breathe along with her, and somehow everything gets opened because of that simplicity of the breath. There's a kind of trust that comes with it, 
work with it this week or this month. Really try to work with the breath. My teacher Ajahn Chah said, to work with the breath is to enter space, to enter the ocean like water. The pureness of the heart or the mind shows itself as simply as the breath. Keep it simple. Breathe and stay in the present moment. This kind of opening, this letting go, doesn't mean no responsibility. It means resting in the present, the, the, the reality of the present, so we can respond wisely to what presents itself. We rest in the compassion and ease of the Buddha. And what's beautiful about the breath is it's everywhere. Wherever we go, our breath goes with us. We belong to it. It belongs to us. It's our life. End with a poem from Kabir. Read parts of this many times. Are you looking for me, Kabir says. I am in the next seat. My shoulder is against yours. You will not find me in stupas or Indian shrine rooms, not in synagogues or cathedrals or Catholic masses or Hindu kirtan or in legs winding around your own yogic neck, nor in eating nothing but vegetables. None of these places. When you really look for me, you will see me instantly. You will find me in the tiniest house of time. Kabir says, my friend, tell me where is the divine? It is here. It is the breath inside the breath. So let's sit once more. Breathing, calming, releasing, opening, space, the space of mind, and the breath breathes itself, the space of heart to contain all things, and the breath breathes itself. A couple of brief 
announcements and then an ah chant to end. One is that our um, government and space agency is still planning to launch the Cassini um, Saturn uh, capsule or whatever it is um, next week with 73 pounds of plutonium in it, which is a pretty bad idea. Um, send it around Venus and then looping back close to the Earth's atmosphere to swing it out to Saturn. Um, but if it doesn't work, as rockets don't periodically, it could disperse the most deadly substance, plutonium, through the atmosphere of the Earth. Um, and it's nice to learn about Saturn. Um, <laughs> but I think we could wait a year or two, because there is a technology for solar energy cells. The plutonium is used as an energy cell to run the equipment. I think we could wait a year or two to learn. Saturn will still be there, you know. Um, so if you have any concern about that, there are some information petitions or whatever in the back table, or you can just contact you-know-who, Bill and Al and Barbara and the others of them, Diane, etc., um, and let them know that it doesn't seem like such a good idea to do that, that, that you're you're willing, that you're interested in Saturn, but willing to wait, basically. Um, let's see, Barbara and someone else. Two people need a ride just to Fairfax, to the park, parkade down there. Is anyone who can give a ride for two people to Fairfax? Come up and meet them here. And one person needs a ride to San Francisco. Anyone who can give a San Francisco? Two people need rides to San Francisco. Anyone who can give two people a ride into San Francisco? Yes, okay, please come up here and meet them as well. Um, so this week ahead, if you wish, breathe. <laughs> and even if you don't wish, keep breathing. But in particular, experiment with it. Try it in meetings, you know, try it in the grocery line, or try it in, you know, relation to your children, or your parents, or your lover, or partners. Um, just try to remember the breathing and remember to breathe and use that awareness of breath as a vehicle to open and to let go. It's wonderful practice and it's so simple. So let's chant ah, one more breathing, and then we'll go out into the autumn evening. It actually feels kind of tropical this week, doesn't it? This is the good part of El Nino, so enjoy it while it lasts.
and mindfully. Thank you. Thanks for coming and remember to drive politely as you leave and see you again. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.